Morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, welcome. My name's Chris. I'm training to be a vicar, so um, please pray for me. Uh, so I'm one of the leaders here at St. Peter's. Um, I was just thinking, what a beautiful church we have. It's amazing, isn't it? Um, how many of you, like me, are not very good at saying no? Hands up. There you go. Um, I'm one of those people who naturally, quite quickly, if I hear someone needs something, I want to get involved. I want to help. Um, and this personality type is called the rescuer. Um, we find it really difficult to say no if we know that people need our help. Um, before I joined St. Peter's, I worked for the UN for 10 years. Um, and actually, the last time I got contracted there, um, before that, I was working at our old church with Ben at St. Mary's. And, um, and I got a phone call saying, would you come in and hear about this new job um, that we think you'd be good for? And at the time, I was like, I'm okay. I'm, I'm having fun at church. Um, but I was intrigued anyway. So I went in, and they said, we'd like you to start this new department uh, and external relations, basically. And so what that would mean is that I'd go to big businesses and then speak to them about how they could help us with our work, which was predominantly in resettling refugees in the UK and also doing some of the communications work. And that would also involve that four or five times a year we'd have big key events and that we'd do all our communications work around those events. So we'd We'd mark um, International Women's Day, Refugee Week, Anti-Slavery Day, you know, those sort of things. And I was told I get to do one of those events during the year. Those events usually take at least three months to plan. But due to my inability to say no, I ended up doing four in a year, which is quite stupid. Um, and the problem is, is that I struggle to actually do the job that I was employed to do or the other work um, because I'm, I couldn't de dedicate any time or resources to it. So because of that very busy year, I've learned that I'm on a journey of how to say no and how to manage myself. So again, how many of us struggle to say no to bosses? How many of us say no to struggle to our families? How many, that's a lot. Uh, how many of us say no to say, struggle to say no to our phones? Yeah, be honest, come on. The inability to say no to what is wrong and yes to what is right will severely limit our life. I, mean, I don't know about you, but being a Christian makes that also feel a bit tougher because aren't we supposed to love everybody? Aren't we supposed to carry each other's burdens? Aren't we supposed to blessed to be a blessing? Haven't I got to steward well what God has given me? And for those who are parents, haven't you got to raise up your kids to change the world? Shouldn't I die to myself, lay down my life for my friends, um, and give to all of those who need. Sounds quite tough, doesn't it? I can guarantee you one thing. If you do all those things, you are going to burn yourself out. If we do all of those things in our strength, we will feel as if our life is out of control, unmanageable, and heading for burnout. One thing is also guaranteed. Trying harder doesn't work. Being nice out of fear of other people's opinions also doesn't work. And usually that desire to be nice is driven from something good. It's driven from a desire for deeper relationships. But if we spread ourselves too thin, then actually we don't get the depth of relationship that we're actually craving deep down. Taking responsibility for others often doesn't work. We, some of us are better at taking responsibility for others' lives, but our own lives can feel a little bit miserable and a little bit like a failure. Um, 
And the issue is, is that we, we actually struggle to take ownership over our own lives and what God's actually called you to do. Um, back in Genesis, God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every other living creature that moves on the ground. Made in the image of God, we are created to take responsibility for certain tasks in life. Part of that taking responsibility or ownership is knowing what is our job and what isn't. If we take on responsibilities that aren't our own, we will actually miss what God has put on your life. Um, how many of us read the Gospels and want to do what Jesus did? There you go, it's quite interactive today, just to give you a warning. Um, well, what did Jesus do? Well, he had quite a big job, really, didn't he? He had to save all of creation. Um, he had to complete the old law, the Old Testament, um, which apparently involves fulfilling between two and 400 Old Testament prophecies, establish God's kingdom and doing life in a new way. He had to um, bring good news to the poor. He had to defeat sin and the death train up 12 disciples who would carry on his work when, he, when he'd gone. He had to heal all the sick that he met. He had to raise the dead, free the oppressed, liberate women from patriarchal oppression, cross the divide between Jews and Gentiles. He had to rise from the dead himself and do much, much more. And he did all this in three years. Do you think he felt overwhelmed? Jesus was, well, the first question is, how did he do it all? Well, the answer to that is that Jesus was fully connected to God. And he subjected himself to God's will and God's plans and God's purposes over his life. In John 15, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that the Son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees his Father doing. Whatever the Son does, the Father... Whatever the Son does... It finishes that scripture. The son, whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus knew the scriptures and he prayed a lot um, and he listened to the voice of God every single day. The easy wrong answer is to think, well, he did it all because he was God and it was easy, like he was Thanos with a glove and he could click or like he was Spock who could kind of, didn't really get our weird ways but could just carry on regardless. Because what we do know is that Jesus was fully God and that he was divine and he was fully man and that he faced all the issues that we face as well. All of the problems, all of the temptations, all of the emotions. Luke chapter 2 tells us that Jesus grew in favor with God and man. Um, so if, if he was just God and he could do whatever he wanted in that way, why would he need to grow in favor with God and man? Now in growing in favor in God and man, also Samuel in the Old Testament, there's a verse that says he also grew in favor with God and man. So there is something on our lives where I think that we, we also want to do that, don't we? If we're being honest, we want to grow in favor with God and man. But the problem is, is that without realizing it, most of us strive to do it in our own strength. We take on a whole lot of responsibility trying to get other people to like us and we, get, and we try to get our affirmation met by other people. Think about a time when you've dated. Some of you are still dating. Some of you are, that was a long, long time ago. But think about that time when you were dated someone. When Sarah and I were dating, I would research really fancy meals to cook. We, uh, I took her on a romantic date, you know, rowing on Windsor with a picnic. You know the drill. You put on your best you, don't you? We then continue to date. And then at some point, you get to that decision of like, we're going to power, we're gonna power through. And we're going to get married. You have your wedding day. It's the best day of my life. 
Wonderful experience marrying the women of my dreams. Plus, you get to see all your favorite friends. You get to eat all your favorite food. You get to select the music. It's absolutely brilliant. Then you have the honeymoon. It's worth the wait. That's all I'm going to say. Then you return, and you are down to this. This, this is who I've really got now. Who I've really got just came out of the bathroom. Wow. I can't believe that they've just done that. The reality of marriage, that was a joke, by the way. You're all very quiet. <laughs> Obviously, it wasn't very good one. <laughs> we realize they start to do all sorts of crazy things that they didn't do when we were dating. And we start to realize how our magic dust doesn't really work on people. And subconsciously, we start to think, how can I make this person do what I want them to do? And a whole lot of relationships can become a, an experience of manipulation rather than an exchange of truth. And we know, don't we, that communication is the key to a successful relationship. And it's vitally important that we learn how to tell the truth in love and how to manage ourselves. Because you don't control other people. You never did and you never will. If you have any doubt about that, go and borrow someone's toddler and try and tell it what to do. Try and tell that baby to go to sleep at night. You can't control your bosses. You can't control your family, your friends, your politicians, your church leaders, especially Ben. Try and control Ben. That's impossible. The only person that you ever have any hope of controlling is you. For a moment, just imagine that you become really good at what you were born to do. If we don't learn to manage ourselves, we are in big, big trouble. We're in big trouble because when you get really good at what God wants you to do, especially things like helping the poor, praying for people, prophesying, worship leading, you know, all things like pastoring or praying for healing or any, pretty much any form of ministry that helps other people. How many of us actually want to help other people? That's a lot. That's, that's the best one yet. Well done. Okay, so I'm talking to everybody in the room who wants to get good at fixing broken things. Because as soon as you get good at fixing broken things, you will wake up in the morning and there will be a line to your door of broken things. People saying, I heard you get good at fixing broken things. Well, here I am. I'm a broken thing and I need help. You have a solution. I have a problem. Let's get together. And this is your day from morning until night. When we get good at something, people who need what you have, they start finding you. And if you cannot control you and you're surrounded by desperate people who need what you have, what you have your very gift and that you're really good at it will start to destroy you. When other people are desperate, they do not care about you. When I desperately need something, I only care that you have a solution to what I need. So to avoid destruction, we need to learn how to manage ourselves and how to set healthy boundaries. So, today to, so now to today's passage, which won't come on screen because it's quite long. I'm sure all of you have read Mark 5 this week. Mark tells us that Jesus' reputation is getting out. 
the news is spreading and that when Jesus prays for you or declares something over you or touches you, you get your miracle. Ben talked last week about how at the end of uh, Mark chapter 4, there was the storm and Jesus was in the boat with the disciples. Well, the next morning after the storm, Mark 5 tells us that Jesus arrives in a region called the Gerasenes. Now here lived a man in a cave who was um, possessed by thousands of demons. Um, he was considered a madman. He was so strong that they would chain him up with chains and shackles and that he would broke free, break free and nobody could contain him. The poor guy used to cut himself with rocks and howl like a wolf. Um, he was in pain and he lived alone and he lived amongst the dead. Running through the story at pace, Jesus lovingly uh, frees the man from all that's been keeping him back. He frees him from all the uh, demons that are trying to hold him. And the Bible says that he returns to his right mind and that his life is totally transformed. And the man understandably says to this man, Jesus, who's freed him, can I come with you? And Jesus surprisingly says, no. Here Jesus demonstrates the power of the word no. And if you reread Mark's chapters 1 to 5, you can see Jesus setting other boundaries by getting time on his own. Um, he, he indicates when he's going to work. He doesn't work to other people's schedules. Jesus decides who his disciples are, and he only picks 12. And um, One of the bravest moments of Jesus' ministry is when he says no to his mum and his brothers when they come to visit. That Jesus says no to his own mum, I find that remarkable. In Mark 5, we see Jesus setting out a boundary with this man who wanted to go with him by saying no. Jesus then gets back into the boat and he leaves. He doesn't stop, but he does rest. Author Stephen Covey tells a story of two men who were sawing wood one day. And one of the men was sawing wood all day long and the other man would saw wood and then take 10 minutes break every hour. At the end of the day, you get it, but the guy who took the break saw more wood, and then the other man asked him, how come? How come you've been able to saw more wood? And the man who took the, uh, the breaks just said simply, every time I took a break, I sharpened my saw. So back to the passage. Jesus has taken a break, but he carries on. He goes to the other side of the lake, and there's already a huge crowd waiting for him. What do you think they need? Autograph? Lock of his hair? No, they're desperate people who need a miracle. People have heard that Jesus heals and Jesus delivers. Word is out that Jesus rocks at what Jesus is supposed to rock at. And in the crowd is a local ruler, a guy called Jairus, and he pushes his way to the front. He falls at Jesus' feet and he says, Jesus, my little girl is sick. Will you come to my house, and will you heal her? And Jesus does something really powerful. He responds, yes. Yes, I will come to your house and heal your little girl. And here is why yes is powerful. Because when you say yes to Jairus, you say no to a whole other crowd of people. If you cannot say no, you cannot say yes. Some of us are like, yeah, but I'm really good at fixing broken things. How can I not fix this broken thing that's here right in front of me? Because there's an endless supply of broken things. And if we don't get good at saying no, then we'll be controlled by the presence of broken things and their priorities our whole life. Our priorities, our relationships will be controlled by the demands of people who need something from you.
If you cannot say no, you eventually start to hide from people because the demands and the needs of the people that found out that you rock at what you're supposed to rock at will drain you of every ounce of life that you have. In the past two weeks, I think I've spoken to at least nine people, nine wonderful people, Christians, all know Jesus, who have all said the same thing. I feel so overwhelmed. I'm so tired. And I don't know how to stop. We struggle with this inability to say no. And the issue is that by taking on too much of other people's stuff and their responsibility, we actually become distracted from what God wants us to do. But you don't get it, Chris. I can't say no. I can't say no to my boss. I can't say no to my spouse. I can't say no to the school or the church or my best friend or, or, or. I'm also going to just say, though, caveat. If you're a parent of a young child, I understand they tell me the season passes. Um, I also understand that you can't say no to a baby who needs feeding in the middle of the night. You can't say no to a toddler that's sick. If you care for people who have additional needs, again, it's complex, it's hard. I understand that you can't say no to that. And I commend you, and I think you're amazing for doing all those things and anything else that I've forgotten. But what, what can we say no to? Could be religious leaders. Jesus was good at that. Could be our family, our work. What we need to understand is that there is a boundary between me, I'll use Sarah as an example, and you. That there's two people here. Um, and like, you know, I don't care if we're married, there are still two people there, and I know the two shall become one. And then we spend the next 25 years arguing, which one, which one are we going to be? But there are two people here. And honoring healthy relationships look like two powerful people coexisting who can work together to meet each other's needs and the needs of the situation. Notice how in Mark 5, Jesus manages Jesus everywhere Jesus goes. And when Jairus asks, will you come to my house and heal my little girl? Jesus says, yes, I will go to your house. Now, Jesus has to pass through this crowd. Then we know that they're desperate people. The Bible says that they're thronging around Jesus. The disciples are pushing people out of the way as Jesus is walking. And then a woman runs up to Jesus and she grabs him. She grabs him by the hem of his garment. And in that moment, she's instantly healed. And Jesus does something incredible. He stops. And he says, who touched me? Imagine you're Jairus in this moment and your child is dying and needs instant medical attention and Jesus stops to chat. I'd be like, don't stop. Come on, Jesus, she's dying. You can deal with this later. Come on, let's go. But Jesus is not like us because Jesus manages Jesus everywhere that Jesus goes. Most of us, I do this, allow other people's urgencies and their emergencies to affect me. We allow them to take us out of the, the pace of grace that Jesus walked in. And like Ben said last week, um, Jesus didn't let anyone control him. Jesus was in total control of himself. Jesus was not governed by the needs of other people that he had a solution for. And that is how he could say, I only do what I see my father doing and I am about my father's business. 
Jesus can tell Jesus what to do, even when he is surrounded by desperate people who need a miracle. Jesus walked at a pace where the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years could reach out and grab him. And some of us are running so hard and so fast that people can't get near to the Jesus that lives inside of us. And they don't get to meet him and get their miracle. Because we're moving on to the next big thing, or the thing that will get me noticed. Jairus' daughter is dying, and Jesus stops and asks, who touched me? I did. I touched you. And Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. And at that moment, word, the Bible says immediately the word comes from Jairus' house that the worst has happened and Jairus' daughter has died. And Jesus overhears this news and he says to Jairus, don't be afraid, have faith. Jesus is like, I'm still here. And I think a lot of us, here I go again. By the way, if you're new, I cry in every preacher, don't worry about it. It's like Jesus is like, I'm still here. I still care. I'm still faithful to the promises that I said, no matter what the circumstance looks like. There's a word that keeps coming up um, to the disciples in the boat. Where is your faith? To the woman is bleeding. Um, your faith has healed you. To Jairus, have faith. Anyway, so they walk to Jairus' house and we read that Jesus stopped a crowd from following him. Um, he wouldn't let anyone go with him apart from Jairus and his wife and Peter, James and John. Um, as another boundary saying no to a load of people so he could focus on a few. Jesus arrives at Jairus' house and there's already another crowd that are there mourning and he pushes them out. There's another boundary. He's good at saying, I know you're here, but I'm sorry, but I've got something else to do. He goes into the room where the little girl is laid down and he just says simply, little girl, get up. And the little girl immediately stands up fully alive again. Jesus again sets another boundary and he, it says that um, he gives strict orders for the parents not to tell anyone what had happened. I'm sure you've heard many sermons on this passage. And actually, each story could be a series of sermons in themselves. But when I was praying about this, I was like, God, what do you actually want to talk about? And I just felt him really strong to say, you, we need to talk about boundaries. So if we want to do the things that Jesus did, if we want to say yes to what God has for you. We need to observe Christ's life, his patterns, his ways. And this includes how he remained focused on what God had him to do. You can't help everyone. You're also not supposed to. Your job is to listen to the voice of God, is to follow the Spirit, to be the person that he's designed you to be, and to help those that he's asked you to help. That is why we're here. Don't hear me wrong and think that you don't get to help today and you get to say no to everything. Jesus said no so he could say yes. I think what we need to do is learn to follow the voice of God and also point people towards the saviour of the world because it's not us. So what does it look like here? Well, first and foremost, it's to, it's to stay connected. We stay connected to Jesus, which is where we get all that we need. Again, in that great passage in John 15, Jesus says, Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. This is how we work out God's will for our lives, by spending time with him every single day. 
Reading the Bible is a huge part of that as well. Make it your daily routine. If you struggle to do that, just give it a go for one week and then see the difference it makes in your life. If you, if you give it a go for one week and it's made no difference, come and speak to me next week. And I'll point you towards Ben. How do we hear God's voice? Um, for me, it can often be a lingering thought. So I'll pray and maybe a new thought enters my mind that hasn't been there before. And actually when I read scripture, it might confirm it. I was like, oh, I had that thought and then I just read this thing. It could be via conversations. I've had this thought whilst I was praying and I trust that if I say to God, speak to me, that he speaks to me. And I might then have a conversation with Ben an hour later or someone else. And you start to see God speak to you through other ways. To be honest, there's hundreds, there's thousands of different ways. I know people that will see a picture that will confirm a scripture they've read, which will also confirm a thought they've had as well. If you're not sure about if you hear the voice of God, but you think you might, speak to each other. Like this, we're a really good resource. Speak to each other. Speak to your village leaders. They'll be able to say, that sounds like God. So boundaries. I'm nearly finished now. One boundary I had to implement was leaving work on time. If I'm staying late every single day, there's something that probably needs fixing. Um, you also can't control your boss's reaction to that, but that's not your job to do that either. If they've got problems with you being boundary, then that's for them to work out. Um, one thing that I've really found useful is if somebody's asked me to do something quite major, I'll always take 24 hours. And I'll take 24 hours, I'll say, can I, can I tell you tomorrow? And what I'll then do is I'll then go and speak to people in my life and say, Look, this is the situation, this is what I've already got going on. And it gives me time to actually step out of the pressurized request and go and seek God for whether this is for me or not. Be brave like Jesus. Um, don't let your family dictate your life, unless you're under 18 and then you've got no choice. Um, have time for you. I know, again, I know that being a parent, that probably sounds impossible. But there are ways that you can do it. Um, have, have fun time with friends. Um, in 3 John 1 uh, verse 2, it says, um, I pray that in all, as uh, in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. You can't prosper if you're knackered all the time. You need to take time to sharpen your saw. Jesus rested. Jesus spent time alone. Jesus spent time with his closest three. You notice throughout scripture, he always goes away with Peter, James, and John. Um, he spends time with the Father. He does work. He does do a lot of work. Um, he was totally in control of his life, and he only did what he was meant to do. On the flip side, if you listen today and you're thinking, that's not me, I'm not overwhelmed at all, I actually don't do anything, then maybe you should try and get involved a bit more. Maybe you should look to carry each other's burdens. Maybe if you're actually someone who suffers a bit with loneliness, you could get involved in a team or come alongside other people who need help as well. The importance is, is that we need to say no to say yes and follow what God is asking you to say yes to. What would it look like if we all did it? I think it would look like a church who are at peace with ourselves, at peace with God, and at peace with each other. I think that's enough from me. Um, would you stand?